Xtalks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This life science focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. Hello and welcome to the X Talks Life Science Podcast. I'm Aisha Rashid, Senior Life Science Journalist at XTalks.com. And this week I'm delighted to introduce a special guest on our show today. Today, we have with us Dr. Lahair Mehta, who is the Head of Global Clinical Development at Amelix Pharmaceuticals, who will speak to us about Amelix's clinical trial design of Orion, a phase three global study of AMX0035, also known as Relivrio, in progressive supranuclear palsy, or PSP. The company presented details about the trial at the Neuro 2023 PSP and CBD International Research Symposium that took place in London last month in October. The Orion study will evaluate the safety, efficacy, and tolerability of AMX0035 in PSP patients. The drug was approved by the FDA last year for the treatment of ALS. PSP is a rare progressive adult-onset neurological disorder that affects body movements, walking and balance, eye movement, swallowing, and speech. There are currently no approved medicines to treat PSP. To learn more about the study and PSP and other details, let's turn to Dr. Mehta. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. So I'd just like to start off by asking you a bit more about PSP and the unmet needs in this disease area. Sure, I'd be happy to. So PSP, or progressive supranuclear palsy, is a devastating neurodegenerative condition. It is often considered as a variant of Parkinson's disease uh, in that uh, when it first uh, presents, um, often patients are misdiagnosed as having Parkinson's disease. They have me may have problems with their balance, they may have an, a tremor, but PSP then begins to adopt a very distinct phenotype. Um, patients often have uh, impairment of um, being able to look vertically up or down, hence the term gaze palsy, um, but they also then progressively decline. Uh, they have difficulties with cognition, uh, swallowing, they also have difficulties with their gait and balance, and they often fall. And then over time, they end up becoming uh, needing assistance while walking, and then become chair-bound, and then bed-bound. And unfortunately, patients uh, progress so severely that they often succumb to mortality, um, often eight to 10 years after diagnosis. Unfortunately, with progressive supranuclear palsy, there are no approved treatments uh, for the condition. Um, it, it is often managed uh, symptomatically or with non-pharmacological therapy like physical therapy or speech or swallow therapy, but there are no proven treatments to slow down the course of the disease. And that's what makes um, this uh, particular trial and study very exciting. Um, looking at AMX0035 from Amelix. So could you tell us a bit more about this drug, including its mechanism of action and what um, it can bring to PSP? I would be happy to. So AMX0035 is a co-formulation of two molecules, phenylbutyrate, 
and tau ursodiol. Now, they both work by different mechanisms of action that are specifically designed to arrest um, activities related to cell death. Let's start with phenylbutyrate. Phenylbutyrate um, is known as a HDAC inhibitor, but is also thought to um, uh, assist in the cell from um, having dysfunction in their endoplasmic reticulum. Now, the endoplasmic reticulum is an organelle of the cell that is designed for packaging proteins correctly, laying them uh, and, and producing them. And what happens is that when there's dysregulation in the endoplasmic reticulum, proteins become unfolded and then the cells start to become more dysregulated and there's less energy production that contributes to cell death. Tau ursodiol um, is designed to alleviate mitochondrial dysfunction. And the mitochondria in simplistic terms is uh, known as the energy powerhouse of each cell. And when that declines, that alters cell, um, uh, cell energy production, which then can contribute to cell death as well. And so it's the thought that by using these two approaches at the same time could promote cell survival. Now, what we feel is important uh, and how this could be applied in PSP um, really comes from our understanding in, uh, um, in certain mouse models um, of uh, tauopathy, uh, which may be responsible for the, uh, being a contributor for PSP. One thing I would like to uh, state is that PSP is characterized by abnormal uh, accumulation of a dysfunctional protein uh, called tau, which deposits in certain regions of the brain and that may be responsible um, for the uh, progressive pattern um, and presentation of the disease. And various mouse models looking at tau um, have looked at either phenylbutyrate or tau ursodiol in separate uh, components and have found that it reduces levels of cellular dysfunction or even tau production in these models. Encouraged by that, we also um, um, take learnings from our ALS program where we conducted a uh, study in ALS where we found an improvement on cell survival as manifested in the clinic with an improvement, uh, a improvement of function compared to placebo um, over 24 weeks. And we felt that um, that clinical effect um, was a, a true uh, manifestation of the benefits in the clinic that this molecule can be uh, attributed to. And we felt that this can be used in other neurodegenerative conditions. And given the fact that PSP is a progressive uh, condition where there's an unmet need, we felt that using AMX35 in a clinical trial um, would be the logical next step. What is also interesting is that AMX35 um, also has been found to lower levels of tau, which is implicated in PSP. We had conducted a, a, a phase two Alzheimer study where we looked at biomarkers in the spinal fluid in Alzheimer participants, and we found that there was a statistically significant reduction on uh, levels of tau, um, including phosphotau 181, that uh, was due to the uh, it, that was present in those who had received AMX35, and so on that learning, we felt that it was logical that this drug exerts a unique mechanism of action that it targets the two cell organelles, the ER and the mitochondria, but it may have some additional benefits such as tau reduction. Um, and we recently presented a poster at uh, CTAD uh, two weeks ago where we actually conducted a proteomic analysis where we analyzed 288 proteins and the strongest effect was in 
proteins related to tau. So we really feel encouraged that given that AMX35 can um, exhibit clinical efficacy as we've seen in ALS and demonstrated biomarker efficacy in our Alzheimer's study on the culprit that may be a uh, contributor to PSP, uh, we're uh, definitely excited with the upcoming launch with Orion. And could you tell us a bit more about uh, Orion in terms of uh, the details of the study, which I know that you shared at that meeting a couple of weeks ago? Sure. So Orion is a large uh, multi-center um, phase three trial um, that is examining whether uh, AMX35 uh, can reduce the rate of disease progression compared to placebo. Approximately 600 participants will be enrolled um, and they will be randomized in a three to two manner, which means that 60% of participants have a chance of getting active drug and they would be followed for 52 weeks. Um, at, at the end of 52 weeks, um, all participants will have the uh, opportunity to enroll in an open label extension uh, for another 52 weeks. And in the trial, we will be looking at assessments of uh, PSP uh, disease progression um, as measured by the PSPRS. Uh, we'll also be looking at quality of life instruments, biomarkers um, in the fluid, as well as imaging biomarkers as measured by MRI, as well as caregiver burden and patient burden uh, of disease as well. And we felt that um, uh, this trial would have to um, also be ambitious in scope, and hence we are recruiting in North America. Europe and Japan. And when you're conducting uh, such a multi-center, uh, multinational trial, what are the kinds of logistics that you need to consider? Um, and how is Amelix prepared to meet the potential challenges associated with that? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, first, I think what was unique about uh, our approach was um, understanding um, what are uh, the characteristics of the disease and the various stakeholders um, that are also involved in uh, the condition. Um, so with, a, uh, with this kind of multi-center um, trial that spans several geographies, um, the first thing we looked at was the epidemiology. And there's a high prevalence of uh, PSP um, uh, in these uh, geographies that we cited. Um, the second was uh, the identification of patient advocacy groups and nonprofit groups that were dedicated towards um, bringing awareness and solutions and treatments for PSP. Um, hence, we did pr um, present at the Cure PSP and C uh, CBD pr uh, uh, symposium a couple of weeks ago. And we felt that by having, uh, when, when a condition has this external stakeholder involvement, uh, such as nonprofit groups, that really underscores that there is a clear need for the disease and that um, when we apply uh, for a clinical trial in this condition, um, there will be support. At the same time, they uh, also turn to be a very valuable source of information and input into a trial as well, because capturing the patient's journey is extremely important. Um, and that's how we also uh, incorporate those learnings um, and take that feedback into our study. Thirdly, we look at the involvement of the academic community and research community. And what made PSP very attractive was that three multi-centered studies had been conducted using the same endpoint. And 
um, they I used the same inclusion exclusion criteria, which told us that they were able to identify patients quite readily using this criteria. Um, and what we found was that um, the in those three trials, there was a consistent rate of decline in the PSP rating scale where um, uh, per, uh, participants progressed approximately 10 points per, uh, per year. And this tells us that when in the hands of the right physician um, who's an expert in PSP, um, we feel like the endpoint can be reliably captured um, in a trial. And so uh, by also uh, incorporating the KOL and academic community, um, we were also able to uh, take that input into our clinical trial. And lastly, um, we were also able to take our learnings from ALS. Um, so Amelex um, has uh, uh, also conducted studies, not only in the US, but also in Europe. And so operationally, we are also able to leverage those efficiencies and take our learnings from what uh, we've encountered in the ALS program and apply them for new programs as well, uh, such as Orion. In terms of clinical endpoints in the study, um, you mentioned that the PSPRS uh, scale will be used. And so could you tell us a bit more about that scale, why it was chosen? And I think uh, it really highlights the importance of really evaluating evaluating the clinical benefit of, of these drugs, especially in neurological disorders, because as we've seen with several approvals in Alzheimer's where uh, the drug was might be able to lead to a reduction in uh, markers associated with the pathology of the disease, but the clinical benefit maybe wasn't so clear. But I think here, you know, it, it appears that you're definitely focusing on that. So could you tell us a bit more um, about those clinical endpoints and the scale and, and how that's going to be at the forefront in the study? Yes, sure. So let's start with the PSP rating scale, which is our primary endpoint here. So the PSP rating scale is a uh, disease-specific measure of severity in patients with PSP. It measures disability um, across uh, 28 items in six domains. These include daily activities, behavior, uh, bulbar or what we call cranial nerve function, um, ocular motor or eye movement uh, function, limb motor uh, function, as well as gait and midline when we think about balance and the ability to ambulate. The maximum score is 100, uh, with higher scores indicating um, a, a, a clinic, uh, worsening clinical severity. And this scale was chosen uh, first due to its the fact that uh, it, it is valid. Um, it um, has been used um, across several uh, clinical trials, and it has demonstrated uh, consistency We've seen that uh, as that um, in the three multi-centered studies that I ref referred to, there's a consistent 10-point decline per year in these patients, which really tells us that this endpoint uh, is appropriate and the scale can capture these deficits. Um, and so, it is. There's a lot of rater uh, reliability, infrared reliability as well um, with the scale. So, and then the second point is that there seems to be also regulatory acceptance um, of the scale um, in order to get um, treatments approved for this condition. And um, clearly, um, the fact that um, um, previous studies have uh, looked at a similar geographic pattern, um, including Japan, North America, and Europe, using the scale have also indicated that there is widespread acceptance um, of this 28-item scale. 
When we look at other endpoints, we wanted to capture the holistic pattern of what PSP can um, cause devastation. And so we look at quality of life instruments. And so in our secondary endpoints, um, one of them is the, uh, the uh, <clears throat> motor rating activities of life scale uh, measured by the uh, part two of the uh, unified Parkinson's disease rating scale. This is a quality of life instrument asking, assessing about patient's ability to perform certain motor activities. As I mentioned before, PSP is a, was considered to be a form of atypical Parkinsonism. So it's those Parkinsonian type um, uh, symptoms and signs that can cause problems. And that's a, um, and this is a nice quality of life instrument that could assess the impact of AMX 35 when we compare it to placebo over 52 weeks. Um, we are also looking at a modified version of the PSP rating scale um, as our second uh, secondary endpoint. And then we have a, uh, a host of exploratory endpoints. Um, we're looking at caregiver burden um, and recognizing that caregivers are impacted by the condition as well. And so um, we use this uh, a formal uh, caregiver, uh, caregiver burden interview instrument uh, in this study. And we also look at uh, impressions of change um, from the clinician's perspective. Um, we also look at um, other quality of life instruments. Um, and so we are adding an instrument that's often used, uh, the EQ5D. And then we also felt after speaking with the community and academic researchers, that it was important to, to drive the science forward as well. And we felt that it was important to collect biomarkers. Um, unfortunately, there are no key biomarkers that are really identifiable for PSP at the moment. But what we do know is that biomarkers um, um, have the ability uh, to, um, you know, to be stored and those samples can be used for future use. And it's important for us to drive the field um, and help advance it. And by uh, conducting this large study, we felt that um, we have an obligation to advance the field by uh, collecting uh, biomarkers because um, it may, it definitely can help the community and especially the academic community to think of new treatments and new targets as well as new insights into the disease. Wonderful. And with the trial set to start uh, by the end of 2023 this year, what are some of the key milestones that you're working towards? Yes. Um, so right now it is really based on execution. Um, we, um, uh, as you mentioned, we did present the study design um, at the uh, Neuro 2023 conference, but right now is, is really about uh, working with our vendors to identify the proper sites in each region, work on getting regulatory submissions to get the trial open, and work with uh, sites to um, find patients that are appropriate for the study and that could be included. and really it's uh, and, and meet those milestones. So not only do we have an aim of getting the, um, the, the trial started by 2023, but what's involved is a, it's a several intricate processes in, especially in each region to get these up, this up and started. We also have to think about uh, how do we meet the demand of this clinical trial and we have to ensure um, that we have um, supply you know proper supply that's allocated and our team has done a fantastic job. Um, with it, and we eagerly await, uh, you know, uh, the uh, results um, as soon as the recruitment is uh, underway. And can you discuss any other plans for expanding AMX at 35 into other neurodegenerative degenerative indications based on its mechanism of action? Yes. Um, 
you know, as of now, um, our uh, AMX 35 uh, is approved for uh, ALS uh, in the United States and conditionally approved uh, in Canada. Um, we have a large phase three study that's underway uh, in, uh, um, in ALS that was, is designed to meet regulatory requirements for Europe. Um, we are also conducting a small phase two study in an ultra rare condition called Wolfram syndrome. Um, which is also thought to be due to endoplasmic reticulum uh, dysfunction and mitochondrial dysfunction. And so we are testing this um, in a small group of patients uh, to see if uh, AMX35 can uh, trigger a, a, a certain response um, for that. Um, but as far as other conditions uh, are concerned, I, um, each one of them um, uh, will have to be, you know, carefully thought of, and we really um, haven't um, disclosed uh, about going into any other indications at this time. And so, just in closing, I think um, really this this study um, arised out of really the collaboration with, as you mentioned, um, academic leaders globally, industry, advocacy groups. Um, and so how do, how do these collaborations really contribute to the clinical development strategy at Amelix in general? Um, and as you mentioned for, for ALS, um, as that, that being, you know, your, your case study and using that, uh, experience to, um, PSP now. Sure. So I think with the clinical development strategy, by identifying um, key academic uh, collaborators as well as um, uh, nonprofit and patient advocacy groups, they all are very important um, in the clinical development strategy because it makes it much easier and more defined. Um, so in the case of uh, PSP, um, we had a concept, um, but we went through several iterations with our uh, academic advisors and had um, several advisory boards where we asked them um, what would be the best rating scale to measure disease progression given our mechanism of action of the drug, um, the effects that we saw in ALS, as well as in our biomarker results in our Alzheimer's disease. And they provided very timely feedback um, you know, in terms of what would be the best endpoints to collect. And I think the consistency of that feedback was very important. And we were able to reflect that in the study design of Orion. Similarly, with speaking with patient advocacy groups, it was important for us to understand the patient journey. And far too often, a clinical trial is focused on maybe a clinical efficacy measure, but what gets lost is the impact of what happens to the patient and as well as what may happen with caregivers and how this may impact um, you know, people who are um, more than the patient that can be affected. Um, and so, Incorporating caregiver burden um, was really important because we recognize that as the disease progresses, uh, we've heard from groups that patients experience falls. Caregivers may have to take time off of their job um, or even spend, uh, there may be health resources that may be used like emergency room visits, physical therapy or occupational therapy um, appointments that may be needed. Um, also, patients may need, uh, as the disease progresses, because they have problems to, um, swallowing, they may need assistance with uh, feeding or you know, ultimately require a uh, feeding tube. Um, and then because the disease may progress um, uh, faster um, than most other neurodegenerative conditions, we also want to pay attention to survival as an exploratory endpoint um, as well. And as I mentioned, I think the other piece was that the fact that there are patient advocacy groups 
that were involved that gives us more that gave us more confidence that pursuing a new indication um, could give us a definite path to potential approval um, for this uh, in order to fulfill our mission to bringing um, you know a treat uh, uh, treatment uh, to conditions where there's a clear unmet need. Indeed. Thank you so much, Dr. Mehta, for um, sharing with us uh, the upcoming um, study for uh, AMX0035 uh, in PSP and uh, wishing you and your team all the very best. And thank you once again for being on the show. Thank you. That's the end of this episode of the X-Talks Life Science Podcast. If you liked today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you, everyone, and see you all next week. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the X-Talks Life Science Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.